I've been reading the uh, Genesis account, the first few chapters of Genesis this morning, along with a, uh, along with um, an essay I found online uh, on an, a website called xfacts.com. I'm not sure what this website is, but the title is called Jehovah's Witnesses and Evolution. Um, that's been an interesting subject to me because um, I've, I've been studying the Bible with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it's been a really in- interesting, valuable experience, but challenging in certain ways. Um, if you're not the kind of person who enjoys studying religion or seeking God in any corner, then maybe you can't understand why I would study with Jehovah's Witnesses. But um, I... I don't know. It makes sense to me. Whenever I meet someone who is a believer in something, um, especially someone who believes in a very sort of insular, radical belief system, I just find it really intriguing. And I, I wonder if, first of all, they might be right. Second of all, I wonder um, what their beliefs are like, what the world is like there. So... Anyway, I've been studying for almost a full year, uh, which is the timeline I committed to myself to study, um, and it's been very, very interesting. But um, and I, what I would say is like it's taken it, it. It has been an effective way of feeling closer to God, um, and and. I will also say so was studying with the Catholic Church before that. It felt like an effective way to get closer to God. Uh, but I f- felt like um, there are some specific interesting things about the Jehovah's Witnesses' interpretations of the Bible and their translations of the Bible that I find fascinating. So, like, they are not, not a non-Trinitarian religion. Um, Jehovah is the God of uh Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, um, I think a more accurate translation of the of of the name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh, uh, but that's the same name as Jehovah. Um, it's yeah, like I think Jehovah is sort of like a Germanic translation of Yahweh, and I'm not sure why the American Bible students who created what is now the community of like Jehovah's Witnesses in the 1870s, I think. I don't know why they chose the name Jehovah. I think it might be because the King James Version used that name in um, Isaiah. Um, anyway, what's important to understand is that in the Old Testament, or as the Jehovah's Witnesses call it, the Hebrew Scripture, uh, and they, they make all these decisions intentionally. Like when I hear someone call the Old Testament the Hebrew Scripture over and over, I'm like, okay, so they don't want to call it the Old and the New Testaments. They want to call it the Hebrew and the Greek Scripture, and I think there's a couple of interesting reasons for that. They, they put a lot of um, value in the Hebrew Scripture, and they put a lot of study into it. That's been one of the most interesting things about studying with them, is studying so much of the Hebrew Scripture or the Old Testament. Um, and part of that is because it gives so much of the character of Yahweh or Jehovah, because in the Hebrew scripture, Yahweh is is almost the only God present. Um, In fact, one of the things that the witnesses sort of grapple with, and I think unsuccessfully, is the lack of the presence of of, um, Satan in the Hebrew scripture. He shows up as a sort of a 
trickster character in the story of Job. Um, <clears throat> but he doesn't show up before then, although the witnesses believe he showed up in Genesis 3. Um, and, uh, on, and that's where I'll go now and talk about this Genesis account. So, um, while what I'm studying right now is like a question of... Uh, so, the thing that I run into with the witnesses a lot is I'm always running into the problem of evolution uh, for them because they're very much... Um, so, it's my expectation that um, thoughtful people who take a glance at the theory of evolution will become evolutionists. So, that's not true. Only like 40% of the United States believe in, evolu- <laughs> believe in evolution. And that's... Um, it's weird to me because I grew up in a non-evolutionist family. Like, I believed evolution was bad or something or a lie, but was exposed to evolution in a biology class in a way that just, like, blew my mind and it changed the way I thought about everything. It was undeniable, the evidence for evolution. So, but my mind is a little different than average and I think I, I do a good job with scientific theory. I do a good job of kind of understanding science. And so, it really grabbed me as, like, a 16, 17-year-old and, um, it was one of the reasons that I stopped believing in God. Not so much, but, but it's not that I think that evolution is in conflict with a creative uh, God. It's just that it, it's, it makes that creative God a little less necessary. But that's not a reason to suggest that evolution isn't tr- the truth. And by evolution, what I mean is that all current species have descended from prior species likely from a single original source, um, over time through a series of natural selections, meaning where uh, at any given time or place, um, pressure to reproduce and survive results in certain um, members of any population having a a reproductive advantage um, that results in an increase in their uh, genes in the gene pool of that population. So that's it. That's all that evolution is. That's just, it's, you can freeze frame it and say, in any given time, there's a pressure toward survival and toward reproduction that results in um, advantageous traits that are also inheritable, or heritable, I think is the word, being, you know, if a trait is advantageous and heritable, it will be, um, it will increase in the gene pool. Evolution. Bam. Um, So you can attack evolution from the perspective of timelines. If you want to say that the Earth is 6,000 years old, there's not enough time. Um, And that's true. If the Earth is 6,000 years old, then uh, Creator God created us and created all the different kinds of things on the Earth. And all that has occurred since then is the type of evolution that you see in, um, you know, that you can see up close, bacterial evolution, things that reproduce really quickly, um, forced, non-natural selection, unnatural selection done by farmers in horticulture or uh, breeders in, you know, in domestic animals, like to breed for a specific kind of things. That would be called like selection that's not natural, uh, meaning it's, it's, it's dictated by a, a human or something. So, but, um, so, 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 <clears throat> if the Earth is six thousand years old, then that is a death knell for uh, 
evolutionary theory. Um, anyway, so, but, but evolutionary theory is not a death knell for the idea of a creator God. It's just a death knell for a specific kind of timeline for the earth of like 6,000 years. All right, so um, the Genesis account, um, the way that the witnesses think of it is they think of it as having been written by Moses, which is sort of like the historical Jewish perspective about the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, if you don't know the Bible well, what happens during that is the creation of heaven and earth, uh, the creation of like basically earth and everything that, like from an earth-centric perspective, everything that kind of matters to earth happens at the very beginning. There's the creation of Adam, that's like a um, Hebrew word for man. Um, then there's a specific name, Adam, uh, used for this like kind of first man. Um, then there's the creation of, and, and also Adam consists of like male and female at first. There's creation of all male and female. And then there's the forming of this Adam character, the forming of this woman for him to be like his wife, Eve. They break one of God's commandments and are cast out of the paradise garden on earth into the, like, into like a, a tougher region of earth where they have to like, uh, cultivate the earth. So, and then, um, they have children for a while generations and generations, like a couple thousand years or something, there's a f giant flood to wipe out everyone on earth because they've all become wicked, or yeah, basically all they're ever doing is bad. <laughs> so only one family pretty much is uh, survives, and that's Noah's family. So there's kind of like a bottleneck again. And then that family reproduces into, um, and, and then there's a guy a little ways down named Abraham who makes who God kind of reaches out to, makes a covenant with, that he's going to be the father of, like, the chosen people for generations. He has a kid named Isaac, who has a kid named Jacob. Jacob is renamed Israel, has 12 sons. Um, this is all in uh, Genesis, by the way. Has 12 sons, including, like, Joseph, uh, who gets sold into Egypt. So this is where suddenly there's this huge other civilization, which must have descended also from... Uh, Noah in the biblical account, right? Um, he becomes favored in Egypt. Brings, his family comes to Egypt. They um, ha are saved from a giant famine by coming to Egypt. And then, so that's the Israel family. And then they're in Egypt for like 400 years or something. They become slaves over time and to the Egyptians. And then a guy named Moses leads them out of Egypt and that's the beginning of Exodus, when Moses, they exit Egypt, Genesis and Exodus. They go out of Egypt, and in Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they travel from Egypt up through, up to the promised land, basically, up to like, um, and they, and what this entails is like, God communicating a lot, Yahweh, this God, um, who in your Bible might be spelled capital, or like in you know, this weird capitalized small font, Lord, L-O-R-D, in the Old Testament. Every time it says Lord, the original Hebrew had this name, Yahweh, but we don't know exactly how to pronounce it. And there came up a tradition of not pronouncing God's name. So they started to replace it with other names, like uh, like uh, Adonai, I think, which is sort of like Lord. Um, so they, they sort of like, in order to kind of like not take the, the, Lord, the Lord God's name in vain or something, they decided not to say it aloud, but it was in all the written texts. 
So Jehovah's Witnesses are not crazy for saying God's name is Jehovah and that matters, or God's name is Yahweh and that matters, because they basically think it was a poor tradition to remove God's name. They haven't invented some new God. They're just hearkening back to the original name that the Hebrews had for their God of Yahweh or something like that. I was listening to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, and he was reading from uh, the Old Testament. And when he reads from the Old Testament, he uses the name Yahweh. He doesn't say Lord, because he loves history. So he's like, and Yahweh, the great God, da 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 You know, so like that's, it's important to understand that was the name of God. It wasn't Lord. <laughs> and that's why Jehovah's Witnesses are like, we are witnesses of this God, this God, Jehovah, in other countries of Jehovah's Witnesses, they actually call that same God Yahweh because they pronounce it that way. But in the U.S. and mostly worldwide, they pronounce it Jehovah. So, anyway, the reason it, the pronunciation is complicated is because the Hebrew lettering didn't have any vowels. So, you could, you could add a vowel at the end and have it like be Yahweh or Yahweh or Yehovah or Yahweh. You can see how those are related. Anyway, so... All that said, that's the, story, that's the books of Moses. And the idea is that Moses wrote those books down himself. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That he wrote them while they were traveling in the desert from Egypt up to the Promised Land for 40 years. In like 2500 BCE. Okay, so the man that wrote in the beginning, um... God created heaven and earth or something, or in the beginning when God created in heaven and earth, depending on your translation, um, was Moses, 2,500 years. So in other words, he would have been writing that like 1,500 or 2,000 years after. So, so it'd be like right now writing about something that happened 2,000 years ago and saying around 400 AD or BCE, or CE, I guess is the terminology, current era, um, God created the heaven and earth. So in other words, he was hearkening back to like thousands of years and documenting this history. Now, um, there's a big question is like, did Moses really write these books? And the, an- the answer to that from any um, secular perspective or any, any evidence-based perspective at all is that no, Moses did not write these books in 2500 BCE or whatever. Um, they were probably passed down... Uh, so, so in other words, like, the story of m- the exodus from Egypt and stuff, like, that's not really, like, that's not really, it's, it's told as if they were, like, they escaped with God's power. But, you know, there's a great book, I think it's called The History of the Jews, two volumes. It's written by a Columbia professor of history, I think, of Jewish history. And he's an atheist, right? And so you get this very secular perspective on it. But, you know, he talks about how, what was probably going on in like when these books were actually probably written, which was probably five or six hundred years before the time of Jesus Christ, uh, BCE, that these books would have been written down over time by these different communities of Israelites, Jewish people who were like, and they might have been warring a little bit with among each other, kind of like ideologically. Like, this is what Moses, our father, Moses, who saved us from Egypt thousands of years ago. Because again, so this is another 2,000 years later or 1,500 years later or something. Basically long enough later that you can make up whatever you want about what happened because there was nobody around to correct it and saying like, no, Moses led us out of Egypt and he said this. And someone else saying like, no, Moses led us out of Egypt and he said that. And like, you know, sort of like a 
like a argument over um, what are <laughs> sort of like a like a legal argument about the Constitution in the United States, like what was the intent, you know? But with a lot less documentation because it was mostly an oral tradition. And it's like, did this Moses guy actually exist? Did we actually get taken out of Egypt in this miraculous way, or did Egypt kind of expel us because we were like troublemakers? Like that's kind of one of the arguments that um this guy that wrote the history of the Jews says is like, you know, this was probably a lot less of a noble exodus from Egypt as this powerful group of people who Egypt wanted to keep, but God let out. And more of kind of like a um, expulsion that caused a a group of Israelites to become um, refugees in a sense, you know. But they've rewritten their own story and they were writing this stuff down in a time when they were oppressed by I think it would have been, who would they have been oppressed by? Maybe Babylon or someone? And they're writing this as this story that's like, we are a people who have been oppressed and have survived and God has let us out. And and it's kind of like saying God will lead us out again, right? So, okay. So the Jehovah's Witnesses and other um, people that take the Old Testament more literally and they refuse, they, they, they see that secular version of history as, as like, stripping away something very important, which is that they truly believe that this Yahweh God intended this book to be collected and written down the way it is for us, for our day. And you can, a lot of this contextualization of this intent is in the New Testament, the Greek scriptures, they're originally written in Greek by writers like Paul, who wrote all these books, um, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, these are letters that Paul wrote to communities of new Christians in Rome, in, you know, Corinth, things like that. So, um, that's where the names of those books come from, all right? So, and Paul was saying things like, all scripture is is good, and he's talking about the, the Hebrew scripture, he's saying, it's all important for us today. It was pointing forward to Christ, to Jesus Christ. They were talking about Jesus Christ in, in Isaiah. They were like, so what these early Christians who were Jews becoming Christians are saying is that like all of the promises, all of the prophecies, they were kind of looking at the old writings of the Jews and saying, we can see Jesus Christ in this. Like this is, um, this was prophesying of Christ. And this is after the death of Jesus Christ. And they're saying Christ was resurrected. We saw him. He went back up to heaven now. And now we're preaching Christianity. And Christ is the continuation, the fulfillment of the books, of the the laws that were given to Moses in the desert. So that's what the Bible is, right? It's this recontextualization in the New Testament for Christians of what the Old Testament was saying. But if you look really closely at the Old Testament, it's interesting. You don't really see as much Jesus Christ or as much Satan, things like that as you might think. You kind of just see Yahweh. <laughs> it's really interesting. So anyway, um, but the Christians created a much more involved Satan. And Jesus is saying, you know, Satan showed up and tempted, or people are saying, you know, the, the gospels say that Satan showed up and tempts Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying, get thee hence, Satan. And like, there's this this satanic character. And then you have the the um the the revelations to John in the book of revelations John the revelator which are like these like catastrophically horrific uh predictions of the end of the world based on this war between heaven and this 
fallen angel who is cast out of heaven, Satan. So, so, so Christianity is like really big on this, the, that Yahweh has to kind of rid the heavens of this Satan character. And the other confusing thing about the New Testament is the relationship between Jesus Christ and Yahweh, right? And the, the general consensus among most Christians is that it's the same person, that it's, got, it's a trinity of personages. I can't speak to the trinity because I've never grown up Trinitarian. Uh, I grew up in a non-Trinitarian denomination that very much believed in a separation of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Um, two separate distinct beings, not not one being. Um, so I'm not a good source for that. But anyway, I guess what, I, what I'm wanting to get to is the point that the Genesis account is inaccurate uh, when it talks about the creation of the earth. Not, even, even if you grant that it could, that it, let, let's take it as a, a man in the desert. Let, but what I want to say is, let's say God said to Moses, write this down. What God said to Moses, he said a few things. He said, this is how the earth was created. But God told Moses inaccurately. God said, first I said, let there be light. Then I did this stuff with water and stuff. Then I divided like, or I divided the day and the night and things like that. Um, then I like, later I created uh, the sun and the moon. Well, so that's not that's that's just not going to work. Oh, oh, and all the stars. In other words, God creates light before any source of light, which is like backwards, right? So people who are like the Jehovah's Witnesses saying, the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, this is from the perspective of Earth. So you could have an Earth creation event where the sun and the moon don't become visible because of the a massive amount of like you know, darkness in the sky or water in the sky. Like, that's not, that's not unrealistic to say that if a human could see from Earth that you wouldn't be able to see the sun. And, but, it, but, but it's self-contradictory to say let there be light. There is light from the perspective. That's the perspective of God, you know? And then later, from the perspective of Earth, suddenly there's a sun and a moon. But even if it's not self-contradictory, what I think is fascinating is, is that if I have an honest, if I have a serious Jehovah's Witness in front of me right now, I could say to them, do you understand that God said, it's okay, Moses, to write it down wrong. <laughs> it's okay to write it down from, from human perspective. It's okay to have it be literally false, but accurate enough from your perspective. So if we look at the Bible as the Word of God, directly inspired by God, written by man, God inspired man to write down things that were not accurate. And I think that that could be true. I think it could be true. Now, I don't think Moses wrote it down, but whoever, but, some, but people, did tra- people did transmit these traditions. And if God directed them eventually to be written down, then God did so with allowance for them to just be full of error. With, like, uh, and by error, what I mean is, what they described isn't true. You have to interpret it different. So in Genesis 3, a snake talks to the humans and manipulates them. The witnesses in their documents, they'll say, well, obviously we know snakes can't talk. So what we know is that this woman, Eve, was deceived. and She thought the snake was talking, but it was probably Satan. It must have been Satan 
manipulating her, throwing his voice, doing some kind of a trick, an illusion. Okay, so let's grant for a second that that's totally acceptable. Well, so the, the rules that have just been established then by the witnesses are, sometimes what you read here is not true. If it, if it doesn't align with reality, then it's an interpretation that's written down incorrectly. Um, it's written incorrectly when it says that the snake talked to Eve. That's not true. That's just her perspective. So I would say it's also completely fair game to say it's written down incorrectly when it says that God created man from the dust. That's not true. Man came from prior species. Uh, we know that that's true based on evidence, just like we know the snakes don't talk based on evidence. So, but what we can say is that the perspective given in Genesis of a creation account is um, acceptable, was acceptable to God, even though it's not true. Um, but it's no more an insult to God's like authority to say that snakes can't actually talk, even though his Bible says they can, than it is to say that man descended from earlier species, even though the Bible doesn't say they did. So anyway, that's just, that's what I wanted to point out today. But uh, witnesses don't agree with me on that. Whenever I bring up evolution, they, well, they really fall back on the fact that they don't know it at all. And they basically give me arguments that are, they're just, I mean, like, they're so weak that I can't really even talk about them. They're just the same arguments. And it's kind of like they say them like I've never heard them before every time. And, like, and I don't, I don't know how to address that without sounding insulting, but it's just kind of like having a, it's kind of like having someone say, um, that, a like, my son is a high school basketball player and he's actually so good that he couldn't beat an NBA player one-on-one like he because he doesn't ever miss any shots and being like okay that's fine but you're at a different level than the NBA player so it's not going to happen and that's kind of how these arguments are about evolution it's like all right i, I everything you just said is is wrong <laughs> Science is at a different level on this than you understand. So from a logical perspective, I guess you could say it's mostly straw man arguments uh, that they they bring. And, and they bring them gently because they think they're going to be like, they're like, you know, the likelihood of all these little chances happening, it, which is kind of like the person with the lotteries thinking that they, that the won the lottery thinking that they have been blessed by God because it was such a low likelihood. When in fact it was certain that someone was going to win the lottery. <laughs> anyway. It's interesting.